Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, with WandaVision, it's Agatha all along. What's the future for Blizzard? And can Constantine save the souls of HBO Max? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows. And if you can, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Game Source, and Inside Sports Fantasy Football, it is greatly appreciated. And just wanted to remind you, on Twitch, Pop Culture Cosmos is back at Backstrong. Not only do we have RPG tabletop games going on several times a week that you can see live right on Twitch and also our Facebook page, but also as well, you get a lot of uploaded goodness back videos, current episodes of the Pop Culture Cosmos, RPG videos, and so much more. I want to thank so much the entire Tabletop RPG crew, including Melinda, Mitch, Roger, Rob, everyone else that is associated with this. We truly appreciate this collaborative effort to get the Pop Culture Cosmos very strong on Twitch. If you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us, it is greatly appreciated. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He's our own mighty Josh and Power Josh of pop culture cosmos you got to catch what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com his awesome book congratulations you suck his shows that he currently has out topic apocalypse and the super bs games cast it is my good friend indeed it is a man no longer on the market so sorry ladies all those emails you send in we cannot honor them at this point in time anymore it is josh peterson What's up, man? Hey, 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 man. So can I just rant about something real quick? I've been wanting to rant about this for a couple weeks. Not before I give you, again, first time we've seen each other since you did the big deed, a hearty congratulations, my friend. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's just been crazy out here in Texas. You know, I had had one thing and then had a bunch of weather, and then it's just always one thing or another, man. So hopefully it's going to be a little... What, what did you, what did I, I hear you say about Texas greet you with as a wedding present the day uh, of tomorrow, I think? Yeah, the day after tomorrow rolled in here. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just glad you're safe. I know a lot of people have been suffering Texas right now. So, and the weather that's out there and our hearts go out to everyone that's adversely affected such as yourself. So stay strong, my friend, and we're here for you. I appreciate that. Okay. So rant wise, you know, I'm a Power Ranger fan. Go, go. Yeah. So ever since Hasbro bought the brand, bought Power Rangers, they have just been, they've made like cheap plastic toys. They don't do like the cool stuff anymore. The only time they make like high quality toys are for like collectors, right? And they charge you like 25 to $40 for these things, which is absolutely ridiculous. But Hasbro took the streaming rights to Power Rangers from Netflix. So now they have one season of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on there, but you can't watch any of the other episodes because nobody knows, you know, and there's not really any way to, you have to, you can buy the DVDs, I'm sure, out, out there. Yeah, but I mean, why does Hasbro want Power Rangers? Because Bandai made amazing Power Ranger toys. They're all like, the pieces are all metallic and shiny, very articulate, and now it, it's like Fisher-Price toys, and you just can't, like, do cool things with them. So anyways... What I'm trying to say is I just I don't like the direction that Hasbro has taken Power Rangers. I think that Bandai was amazing and they need to go back to them. Well, that's a bigger issue for another day. But I agree with you, my friend, that Hasbro, you got to give them credit for buying all these IPs. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of people have talked about that. I mean, so many other things that Hasbro has bought and purchased that they now have ownership of that they're trying to monetize in different ways such as putting you know, movie rights out on a lot of these properties. So it's very interesting to see. And I know a lot of their moves have not been for the best in some people's eyes, like yours right now, like you're seeing with the quality of the action figures. I think you got to get Rob here on, on a three-way here talking about that, because I know that's a bigger issue with Hasbro's domination of the market. So I think that's an issue that we need to put on the show at some point in time. So I'm going to see what I can line up. But speaking of Rob McCallum, he's going to stop by later in the program to talk about two of his other projects because he was here on Friday's show talking action figure adventure. And in fact, I have a review of the entire series of action figure adventure available right now at popculturecosmos.com that you can check out. But today he's going to be talking video game box art, the stories behind the covers and his latest project, Faking Filmation. So we'll go ahead and talk to him about that real quick. Plus, TJ Johnson's going to be stopping by to talk WandaVision Episode 7. Uh, hopefully, my daughter will be as well, Elowen Glassford. So, appreciate their time in going ahead and talking about it. But I get you, my friend. I think we got to go ahead and have Rob, maybe even Jay, the guys behind the Rob and Jay toy show. I think we need to go ahead and get them on the show to talk about Hasbro's domination. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? On the back end of the episode, we're going to be talking some Constantine heading to HBO Max, which I know Josh has truly got a lot of excitement for. I know this is something he has asked for time and time and time again, and his dreams are finally coming true as a Constantine series is coming to HBO Max. So we'll talk about that. Plus, with BlizzCon this weekend, we're going to talk some of the announcements from there, but Mainly, we're going to talk about Blizzards itself and its future. Where does it stand in the eyes of gamers, and where can it go from here? We're going to talk about that coming up on the episode as well. But first, my friend, WandaVision. Episode 7 is now in the modern age of television. 
with an episode that was patterned after Modern Family and also The Office. All I'll say is that it was a good and a bad episode. It was a good episode if you're unfamiliar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you needed to get up to speed. And also the twist at the end was something that might have intrigued you. But for the bad, if you're knowledgeable in the MCU, I don't think your expectations were met. Yeah, okay. Can I talk spoilers? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. From this point forward, everyone, for the rest of the episode, it is spoilers. Just want to let you know. So please, if you haven't checked out already, please go ahead and just pause it and then go ahead and start the play button again once you finish the episode of WandaVision. But go ahead, my friend. Okay, so Agatha Harkness, is she was not a likely candidate in my eyes. And I know you were, who did you, who did you think it was? I thought first off the villain pulling off the entire strings is nightmare or someone higher than that. And ultimately that may be the case, but Agatha Harkness is someone who's been speculated heavily. And I'm talking about heavily in regards to who the Agnes character, the neighbor character has been along. So that didn't come to me as a shock because again, her ultimate reveal in her character has been speculated on for like, weeks and weeks on end okay see i i'm not i wasn't on that boat like i just i never had any guess that it was her you know like i i've read some of the comic books that have agatha harkness in it i never really thought she was that interesting of a character so i guess that's why it kind of surprised me that they used her for those of you who don't know agatha harkness is like uh scarlet witch's obi-wan so she she trained scarlet witch and scarlet witch eventually kills her is not expected i uh, now looking back at it now i probably should have put two and two together i don't know like i felt like when she went down into the basement it had like a disney halloween town vibe to it like it just kind of lost its its momentum because you you sit there and when when you think about marvel you think about like things being epic and as she walks down and she's kind of trapped in that little chamber you kind of think to yourself well how epic can it be if it's taking place in a single room uh, I did enjoy the chemistry between Vision and Darcy. That was cool. You know, I love how that subtle little insult, you know, where she turned all the agents into clowns. That was fun. I like Rambo getting her powers. So for those of you who don't know in the comic books, she has the ability to manipulate whatever kind of energy is, is thrown at her. And in this case, it was what is like kinetic energy or something. Yeah, and That's how she was able to get through the barrier and also if you notice when wanda threw her powers at her she's able to kind of absorb it and that's probably going to have a big part in her getting through to wanda wherever she seems to be trapped loved how evan peters showed up again i really am hoping that this is kind of a bridge opener to the x-men universe i know like we talked about this before and you said they wouldn't do it like this, but like, I do hope that there's some kind of mention of it. You know, maybe he came from a multiverse, like a different Marvel universe, but I know that this is all eventually leading into Falcon and winter soldier. So I, I'm sure there's more reveals to come in the next and Dr. Strange too, and, and maybe even Spider-Man three. Yeah. So, okay. So let me ask you this. What do you think about the idea or the rumors circling around that Dr. Strange is going to appear in one of these episodes? I've seen a lot of speculation on the internet about it. I think it's a pretty much a done deal. Plus also there should be a reveal of a big baddie that's even above Act of the Harkness or maybe the driving force, whatever's in that mysterious book that she seems to have right there in the middle of all the action at the end. 
And what could that be? Dormammu? Could that could be back to what we're seeing with, like I said, Nightmare or something like that. So we'll see what happens as far as I think there's someone even larger pulling all the strings that's pulling the strings with Agatha, who is pulling the strings on what was going on with Wanda. So we'll see what happens there. I want to go ahead and say right off the bat that, you know what, there's a lot of excitement and that is to be greatly appreciated for WandaVision. It was reported over Friday night that when it first hit on Disney Plus that there was such a sheer demand for WandaVision that it broke Disney Plus and that it caused Disney Plus to crash, which is a tremendous sign of the demand for not episode one, not episode two, not the last episode, but episode seven. For something that a lot of people are getting into, it seems like it's just grown and grown and grown. And that's the, probably some of the best news for Marvel right there, that you have such a sheer demand that you break Disney+. Plus. That right there is to be complimented on. I mean, obviously not on Disney Plus's side because you need to have a better service to handle it, but the kind of sheer demand that's out there. I mean, that's yeah. going to be the good. For the bad, for me, I'm again... There was so much that was underwhelming in that episode. Like, for instance, Darcy's character, I thought it would have been more elaborate, something would have given her something more special. This just seemed like was just a, a nice little running joke of what happened in the hex. And she just was in there just to dump some exposition. And that was it to Vision and, and, and to the audience out there that needs to catch up. So her role in this was kind of disappointing. And I feel bad for her character because she was very poorly used. The, the engineer, which was hyped up so much in the previous couple weeks, supposedly this engineer was out there, this mysterious engineer that built this craft that would get Monica Rambo in through the hex. You know, that was built up and built up. And the payoff on that was extremely underwhelming. Like not only was the individual engineer, or I, we, I think who is the engineer, just an individual officer in the military who doesn't have any prior history in the Marvel Universe, period. It was just a, basically a brand new character made up, but we don't know if, if this individual will have any more future in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we were expecting Reed Richards or even Sue Storm or something like that. That would have been really cool, but yeah, it didn't pan out. And the vehicle itself, what? It didn't even get through the first layer of, of the hex and it crashed and burned. So, I mean, all that hype for nothing there. I was kind of disappointed with that. And of course, the reveal of Agatha Harkness. If you're not familiar with Agatha Harkness or like you, Josh, hadn't been seeing all these speculation videos, you know, it, it was more enjoyable to you out there. But if you're someone familiar with the Marvel Universe and you've been watching all these hype videos and these speculation videos, then it obviously was something that, okay, it's Agatha Harkness. We knew that. And I still think that there's someone bigger pulling the strings. And last but not least, I have a puzzling question to you, Josh. At the end, there is a mid-credit scene. So you have to stay past the mid-credits for this ending scene, like you said, with Evan Peters and goes ahead and, and catches Monica Rambeau trying to go ahead and head into the basement where Wanda and Agatha are at. My question to you is, why have a mid-credit scene, and not, not necessarily a scene with them, because you couldn't put that in the episode, but why have a mid-credit scene now? Why not have it after every episode or have it at the beginning or the end? It seemed like a very puzzling time to go ahead and have a mid-credit scene. Well, they just made a big reveal, and we don't know yet whether Evan Peters is there to help or there to hinder. We did see how, right, she snapped her finger, and his it was originally supposed to be Aaron Johnson, and then it changed into Evan Peters. So 
I think that that was meant to build suspense for the next episode. Like, is he working for Agatha or is he there to help? Is he, was he like pulled from another Marvel world or whatever? So I, I think it's meant to build suspense. And, you know, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if we saw more of those mid credit scenes going all the way up until episode nine. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens. But I was left underwhelmed. I don't know about you, but it doesn't deter my excitement overall for the series. I'm still very excited to go ahead and see what happens in eight, nine. I mean, I mean, the Mandalorian had its Tatooine episode, which was a stinker. And we still kept going through the Mandalorian with great excitement. And you look what happened there. We got a bit nice big payoff and it's turned out great from there. So just consider this like a bump in the road. You know, on that note, I feel like at this point, they can't keep doing the sitcom things anymore. Like now they're committed to the story they're trying to tell. Cause for me, what kind of slowed me down in the episode kind of kept pulling me out was the fact that they, they were having such big reveals and they kept trying to go back to that sitcom. You know, they tried that. It was the, obviously it was the office, right? They're kind of modern family ish. Uh, they had the office opening, but it was more structured after modern family. Yeah. So they kept trying to go back to all this like sitcom themes that they were doing. And it, it was not, it was ruining the pacing. Cause you had these like big action parts where the music picked up da, 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 da. and then you have like the wah, wah, wah stuff going on. And it kind of like ruined the pace. It's like when you're jogging a marathon and you have to stop to tie your shoe every five minutes. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. And I, I just hope they don't do that moving forward because it is a bit tiring, especially now that they've made these big reveals. Well, we'll find out what happens in episode eight. We are still excited for that. For me, like I said, this week was a bump in the road. For Josh, it sounds like it was you know, a little bit better, but we want to hear your thoughts on WandaVision episode seven and the series as a whole. Is it going in the direction you want it to go in? And are you excited for the final two episodes of WandaVision? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break Podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Before we hit the half hour break and we're going to head into see Rob McCallum right on the backside, hopefully TJ Johnson, Ellen Glassford as well. Wanted to go ahead and ask you this real quick, my friend. BlizzCon took place this weekend. It didn't have really that much in the way of notoriety. I mean, just said that Diablo 4, I believe, is still under construction. So it's still being developed and, and it's not coming out anytime soon. Diablo 2 Resurrected was shown in its place. What a shock. Another game that's being remade. Oh, joy. I guess I got to be excited for that. But nothing really, wow, bam, exciting. You know, nothing really to get get just interested in. And BlizzCon used to be such a period of time where they would announce these great things and everybody would be excited. I know also as well Overwatch 2, they were talking about making sure that everybody knows that it's still on the way. But again, man, to me, I think there's a larger issue with Blizzard. Ever since the purchase with Activision, I don't see them heading in the right direction, and I don't see it changing around anytime soon. Looking back when I was in high school, right, that's when World of Warcraft came out. Everyone was playing. Everybody loved it. 
there's Blizzard fanboys all over the place, and now you just don't hear about it as much. You know, stores don't have cardboard cutouts for World of Warcraft anymore. When the especially when like the expansions come out, they don't have big sections that just have Warcraft stuff in it. The hype just isn't there anymore. And yeah, it might have something to do with Activision purchasing Blizzard and Blizzard not being able to kind of do their thing. Because what what made Blizzard such a great company before was the fact that they were they were a small company and they were run by people who really enjoyed making games. I don't know how much, you know, the shareholders really had to do with it. I don't know if they were profitable or not, but when World of Warcraft came out, they seemed to be doing okay. Now you have them owned by Activision and Activision's a big company and there are shareholders, you know, so I, I think that they're not the company they used to be. They're toting the line of, of pleasing corporate and making sure the shareholders get what they need. And I, I don't think that people who actually make the games have a lot of creative input anymore as much as, you know, what's going to make those nickel and dimes. You know, as for BlizzCon, I honestly, I didn't even know BlizzCon was happening. You know, I logged on, I got onto the computer or not computer, but I got on my phone. I was kind of looking at gaming news saw diablo 4 was in development it's not even something that i was aware that was happening you know and going through the news i saw that they're re-releasing some of their older stuff on console right it's like some kind of viking something or other games i had never even heard of i have been hoping for a long time to have like a console version of warcraft 2 and 3 come out because i did enjoy playing those games i just Rock and roll racing. You can't rock, forget about rock and roll yeah, racing. Rock and theme. roll racing. So, I mean, it just, nothing really happened thinking about it. They just said, hey, we're working on this game. They didn't really give you anything. There wasn't really anything there that, that maintained hype at all. I think it's a larger issue, my friend. I really do. I, yeah, and I it, it does feel like they are fading from popularity. Like, who's... I, and I don't know if you read the reviews for the last Warcraft expansion, but I read quite a few of them. And a lot of people had said, this is a great expansion, but this is also a good time for us to leave the world of Warcraft. No pun intended. Like people saying that the game was good, but this is where they need to stop. And well, I, I agree with you, my friend. I mean, it just it seems like time has passed Blizzard by. Am mm -hmm. I wrong on that? I mean, no, Overwatch I'm is a nice step. Yeah, But, uh, you know, it's just a nice step. It's not something that's going to win people back for a long time to come. Well, and here's the thing. You look at Microsoft, right, and, and Halo. You look at PlayStation and Uncharted. What makes these games, like, be able to climb from one console to another is the fact that the, it still has the attention of the generation that started it, whereas the people who played Warcraft, there's not a lot of them not a lot of them have the time to sit down and play those games anymore. So when you're not making things that are appealing to, I know Overwatch uh, is huge in esports. A lot of kids like playing that game, but as for Warcraft, there's not, it's not really, there's no good place for people to jump on and play that game. You know, they're not making new IPs. They're just working on things that have been around for years. And it's, this is my dad's game. This is you, my mom's yes. game. Yes, yeah, and so they're not making things that are bringing in new generations of gamers. They're just kind of like clinging to the nostalgia of a generation that doesn't really have as much time to play games as they once did. And it's a shame to see that, but it's not surprising because we've seen this happen all the time where once powerful companies within the realm of video game making, I mean, they have something that they stand by for a long period of time, but then it overstays its welcome and then it loses its player base a little bit more. 
a little bit more, but you don't have anything solid to replace it. I mean, the World of Warcraft, even in 2016, when you and I started this show, was still something that they could rely heavily upon because they had a, a decent enough user base that was still playing the game. Now, five years later, that tells us almost how long we've been doing this, my friend, but almost five years later, it just seems like they don't have the imagination to evolve beyond that. Overwatch is a nice step, and you're right. It does have some footing in the esports realm, but it's not the number one game on esports. I mean, right now, Call of Duty Warzone, Fortnite, there, there's like a half a dozen other games which I could say are either at or above its level of popularity right now in esports. So with me, I just think it's you have a company that has just not found something that could evolve with the times enough to go ahead and keep it up on top, especially the fact since Activision is now part of Blizzard and Blizzard's part of Activision and all that and the parent company that owns the, uh, the whole thing and all that, that it just seems like when they took the money and became part of something bigger, they lost their individuality and their spirit to drive forward and evolve and continue their growth at an exponential rate, like what they were doing previously before they got acquired. Well, this like this seems to happen a lot, though. I mean, you go look at the case of, oh, sorry, I just had one in my head that I was thinking about, and now it's... Well, are you worried about that for Bethesda? Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, I mean Bethesda. I don't. I don't think Bethesda is going to have an issue with that. They only make certain types of games. You know, we've seen what happens every time they venture outside of Fallout and Elder Scrolls. They end up making something like Brink that does okay numbers, but then in the end ends up costing them money. EA. This was what I was going to talk about. You look at it with Mass Effect, right? I'm sure they had that. I was, you know, in interviews I've been reading with employees, they're saying that like. They had these grand ideas for this Mass Effect game, and then EA was making it difficult to work on stuff like that, right? Because they were saying, hey, we need to make it stick to what the fans want or what they think the fans want, and then they were moving workers around to work on Star Wars games. So just there's, when I think when you're owned by bigger entities, there's not a lot of freedom because you think about having to work on other projects and manpower and the chance that the shareholders aren't going to get their money's worth out of the company. Like, I, I think this is why indie games are starting to become just the new wild west of gaming because there's nobody pulling the strings, nobody telling them they have to have this, this, and this. Even look at like movie companies, right? Ever since DC or, you know, Warner Brothers corporate got involved in the DC films, we see the same thing. You have to have this, 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 and this. And there's not really a lot of creative freedom. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. It's just something where, we're seeing the declining residual results of the effects and the power that Blizzard, the once mighty Blizzard, has. I mean, they're still got some good stuff on the way. I mean, Diablo 4, a lot of people will be excited about. Diablo 2 Resurrected, a lot of people are interested in. Overwatch 2, a lot of people obviously want to get back into that and be competitive and see where they stand with this new version of the game whenever it comes out. But with Blizzard... It just doesn't seem to have this weight. I mean, when you and I started talking games, uh, you know, back even in 2015, when you and I first started having conversations in regards to video games, Blizzard was a big powerhouse. I just don't feel that they're that way anymore. Yeah, and what's sad is the fact that if Blizzard were to make something that was 
in the realm of, of games that they know how to make. And there was something that was new and felt fresh and it was maybe driven onto consoles as well. Like I could see myself maybe becoming a part of that community for at least as long as I'm able to play it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are in that same boat who would love to see a new RPG from Blizzard come out, but it just, it doesn't sound like that's going to be happening anytime soon. And I feel like, again, with the exception of Overwatch. And I I honestly feel like a lot's going to hinge on the numbers from Diablo 4. If that doesn't do well, then I I just, I don't really see them having a future because the only thing that they're doing to get new blood in, again, is Overwatch. And it's just not, that's not a very profitable model going forward, especially like you look 10, 20 years from now, they're still making WoW expansions and StarCraft games and Diablo games. And the people who grew up playing these things have less and less time to sit down and play video games anymore. They're essentially going to be making games until the generation that played them becomes the dying generation. And they're just going to kind of phase themselves out of existence. What are your thoughts out there on the future of Blizzard? Josh and I don't have exactly the most sparkling of analysis when it comes to the future of what Blizzard will be or what will become unless they make certain changes. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, we've got Rob McCallum, TJ Johnson, and Ellen Glassford coming up on the back half of the show. Rapid fire. Rob McCallum talking faking filmation and also as well video game box art, the stories behind the covers. Then TJ Johnson is going to be talking WandaVision, and my daughter, Ellen Glassford, will as well. And then on the back end of the show, we're going to be talking some Constantine on HBO Max. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Video game box art, the stories behind the covers, in which we talk to the illustrators and artists who are responsible for gaming's most iconic images. Don't forget to check out Video Game Box Art, the stories behind the covers, celebrating gaming's most iconic images from the people who created them. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. It is Rob McCallum, the man behind RobMcZob.com and the scariest picture of him that's imaginable, plus also as well, Zero Cool Films. <laughs> what? That's my that's my Masters of the Universe-esque portrait that you're referring to at RobMcZob.com, which I believe uh, is also on my YouTube page. That's fun. Who wants one of those glamour shots that everybody seems true. to have for headshot or something that looks like it was taken at an Apple corporate event center? I have one of those. I, I should. I bet you do, I, yeah, and I bet I, you think differently every day. Yeah, this is this is true. But need I digress? I want to go ahead and ask you now about some of your other great projects that are out there, sure. including one that's on Amazon.com and Amazon Prime Video, video game box art, the stories behind the covers. Tell me about the interest into that as since it's been released, and of course, all the interesting things that a lot of people have said about it, including our friends. Doug and Nicole from Retro City Games. Big shout out. Yeah, definitely shout out to Doug and Nicole, who of course are our co-creators, co-producers of the series. Honestly, when we released it, I think it was in late November or December, it generated a lot of buzz. And I think I told you on a previous iteration where we sat down that it was really nice and warming because I had filmed that and kind of finished it so long ago. We had, again, a broadcast release in Canada, and we were shopping for an international home, and we found one with the Nacelle company, who, of course, does the toys that made us, and they put it out. And and since then, it's like, oh, this is so awesome. I'm so glad that this is out there. Oh, I didn't know this, or I didn't know that. So it's just really cool that people are, like, taking the time to check it out and sitting down with it. And 
and really just going on the journey that we present across the eight episodes to kind of look in every possible nook and cranny when it comes to the world of video games, but always bring it back to the cover art or illustration and how that happened, whether it's a point of purchase display in the 80s working for Atari like Pamela Smith did or you know what it's like to do covers for ColecoVision games were essentially locked up based on the arcade cabinet. So what do you do for the cover for that? Well, you show the arcade cabinet. Well, what do you do for something when it's you know an original game? How does it change then? Or you know, looking at the introduction of Photoshop and how that changed, and when video games went from a less illustrative cover to like you know like the fantasy art paintings that we would get for movies, what happens when they went to more of a logo-centric design with Quake or Doom or even Zelda? And these are all things that we touch upon. So as the industry evolves, so does the art and the representation and the marketing of it and the whole business side of it. And that's stuff that we never planned to discuss with Video Game Box. Right? We really just wanted the people that created these iconic covers to have a voice and a chance to talk about it. And I wanted to learn who they were, how they got their start, and what was their approach. And of course, learn any secrets, Easter eggs, and whatnot. And we got all that more. So it's pretty fantastic and rewarding now, especially that I'm so far removed from it because it finished it, like I said, a while ago. And it's the jolt in my morning or you know, the extra cup of coffee in the afternoon that comes out of nowhere sometimes because people are discovering it all on their own and seemingly always being pleasantly surprised with everything that they learn and the people that they meet about and hearing stuff about some of their favorite games and game franchises that they had no idea about, especially the international release uh, cover variant stuff. That's always great to hear people's reactions. It is. And like I said, I had a very nice time going through it all episode by episode can we I haven't talked you? about that because the last time we talked, you had only seen an early uh, rendition of one of the longer cuts of the interviews yes. that I had done. And so what did you think about it? I thought I'm interviewing it was, you now. Well, I thought it was very good. I thought the uh, episodes were very solid. Uh, I think some of them really expounded on the stories behind how they got made and some of the controversies that went behind it where artists, they would submit the, the different box arts and sometimes the you know the the feedback they got was surprising but also some of the ways and sometimes accidental ways that they actually got it out there of course as a doom 2 fan back in the day i mean you touching on that one specifically and the creator of that art really was for me one that i, I cannot thank you enough for doing because it was really gave me a deep insight into that the only thing I wish you you know, would be able to go ahead and touch on more of the modern box art, but then again, or the fact that box art may be something of a, I don't say it's going in the past, but it's there's less of an emphasis on it in the digital age. I think maybe sure. that, that was touched upon in your episodes, but I wanted to see if that could be a little bit more embarked upon because, you know, obviously we live a lot of the here and now while there's still so much of a remembrance of nostalgia. And that's what your episodes do they finally touch on our nostalgia and i truly appreciate that that aspect but it would have been so much even more helpful as far as seeing the involvement of, of where it's gone to and i love the fact that you know the, in the later episodes you, or at least an episode you, you know maybe a follow-up to it say you know what this is where it's going this is where we're headed there's still an importance for box art because i believe there is it's just the fact that i don't think these publishers these distributors actually remember how effective a good box art can be. I 100% agree. I wish I could do another eight episodes tomorrow because then we'd continue to talk about stuff like 
what is box art in the digital age? We touched upon it in episode six at E3 yes. when we talked to people like, how do you release stuff now? How does it get created? And, you know, they create a big piece of art and it gets, you know, purposed in multiple, multiple ways like we showed with Tomb Raider and how collector's editions are, are taking more of the, the, the special physical kind of place that box art used to take. It, it just doesn't, it just, it's not the same as it was. So, hey, yeah. you give me the, the funding for another eight episodes. I am happy to keep delving into stuff. And I mean, you mentioned Doom too. I would love to do more looks at PC games. I mean, there's a lot to discuss for everything from Fairchild, Atari, Coleco, yes. all the console stuff, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, everything through that disc-based, cartridge-based to PC games and digital games and mobile games. You know, how, do, how does that all work? And uh, what is, you know, an app store presence graphic look like? And what are the assets that you need to really stand out there? there there's so much that you can continue to discuss that series could run for 150 episodes. Again, check out Video Game Box Art, the stories behind the covers, featuring so much of the history of video games. You can check that out today on Amazon Prime. And you mentioned faking filmation. Obviously, as you mentioned in your interview with the man behind with the issue at hand in faking filmation, you are a part of the He-Man universe. And something I've known of you for a long time now is that you're Fandom for He-Man knows no bounds, but Faking Filmation is a new project of yours. Please go ahead and, and tell us all about the story behind Faking Filmation and how important it is for the He-Man universe. Faking Filmation is a project I've been working on for over a year now, and I've only just gotten to the point where I think it was good enough to kind of talk about it with everybody and thus announce it, and we've created poster art as well for it. It centers on James Etock and his... James is like a super fan, okay, of everything He-Man and She-Ra. He's obsessed with anything 80s cartoons, but in particular He-Man and She-Ra. And four years ago, he set out on a mission to create his own unofficial cartoon episode of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He wanted to create something that would seamlessly fit in to the original 130 episode run where you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. The voices would be the same, the music, the look, the style, the animation, everything would be the same. And the basis for his episode was to see Faker who as a toy was always blue like Skeletor, but looked like He-Man into the cartoon because the original cartoon version of Faker we got was basically He-Man with glowing eyes. So it felt a little disjointed and James wanted to correct that. So he spent three and a half years working with a small group of people to try to make this cartoon uh, a living thing. James in the past has pioneered fan sites in the internet uh, on in the 90s. He's the celebrated author of the official guide to the He-Man and She-Ra episodes that's put out by Dark Horse. This guy isn't just like some random fan in a basement. He knows his stuff and he has an encyclopedic knowledge of everything He-Man and She-Ra. He knows all the animators and storyboard artists and writers and directors behind the episodes. So he wanted to give his ultimate love letter, this homage to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe saying, look, I, I'm a creator. Here's, here's what I think. Here's what I want to do to say thank you to everybody who had done this. And just as he got to the finish line and was ready to show it at PowerCon, the world's greatest He-Man and She-Ra fan convention, NBC Universal, which has the rights to He-Man, said, you cannot show this. Do not show this cartoon or we will hit you with $150,000 plus of legal damages. Now, the story is much bigger than that because NBC Universal knew about this cartoon for years. And suddenly, at the stroke of midnight, they say, you can't release this. So Faking Filmation tells the story of James, who he is, how he got to be where he is, the process of creating this fantastic piece of animation, 
and charts the journey forward. What will he do? Will he give up and shelf it? Or will he, you know, basically throw caution in the wind and, and put the cartoon out there because a dream is worth fighting for. Of course, this is the perfect vehicle to go back and talk about the history of cartoons and everything that made Saturday morning cartoons and that whole phenomenon possible, which Filmation, the animation company behind He-Man and the Masters Universe, was a pioneering founder. They were the ones in the 60s, along with a couple other groups, that made Saturday morning cartoons happen. So we get to chart the history of Saturday morning cartoons, the rise and fall of Filmation, and everything important about cartoon culture and animation while following James's story to see if his dream will be a success or if it'll be locked away in a vault forever. Well, we got to talk about it right before you go live with it again so we can sure. remind people out there about Faking Filmation. Once again, look for it on Kickstarter in and around April 6th so you can be in on it early. That is Faking Filmation. Plus, you can check out robmczob.com the uh, pictures right there for you where you go ahead and check out action figure adventure video game box art the stories behind the covers and so much more that and zerocoolfilms.com please check out both today are there any pictures of cinder blocks there by any chance when you go to robmixob.com well, i haven't seen when any. you visit only when you visit okay i haven't seen blocks. that yet okay I, I just wanted to make sure because you know cinder blocks between you and i that's our deal. Those are the building blocks of our friendship. That it was, my friend, and that it still is today. But my friend, it's been so great talking to you. Please send my love to Jay. I know he's had a recent loss, and I want to pay all homage and respects to him and his family. So please send out my blessings to him. I haven't had a chance to speak to him yet on that yet. So please, we'll call if you go him ahead up, and pay respects. We'll talk about action figure adventure. He would love uh, to sit and chat with you. Okay, well, you know, he's the YouTube star now. That's the problem. Well, I'll talk to him about that. Okay. Well, all right. If I can catch up to him, you know, I may have to talk to his agent now that you've made him a star with Action Figure Adventure and Nintendo Quest and his YouTube. Hey, YouTube is all him. I'll take credit for everything else. Okay. Fair enough indeed. But also you can catch the Jay and Rob Toy Show as well on YouTube. Don't forget that. Yeah. Every Monday night at 8.30 p.m. you can check out Jay and I talking Funny things about toys. We have tons of different guests, authors, toy designers, sculptors. You definitely got to check it out if you love pop culture, mishaps, and shenanigans. And if you want to check out the audio version of their latest episode involving the Cara Dune controversy and all that, you will catch it on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, wherever you get your podcasts. My friend, it's been so great talking to you as well. Looking better than ever in film. <laughs> It's just so great seeing you as always. You're you're always moving up in the world. You always got something new on the plate. It is Rob McCallum, award-winning director of so many things that you got to go ahead and check out today at robmixob.com. Rob, it's been a great pleasure talking to you as always. And thank you so much for always bothering us, pestering us, invading us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis it is tj johnson back once again wandavision episode seven it came out 
And I'm saying that it's a, both a good and a bad episode. It's good if you're a casual fan. It was bad if you're someone that understands the Marvel Universe. See, because some of the things that you saw in the Marvel Universe or know about the Marvel Universe, you could see coming a mile away with mm-hmm. the reveal that was made at the very end of the episode. But if you're a casual fan, I know a lot of people were surprised by the outcome. Well, I think if you're a casual fan, I'm kind of on the flip side. I think if you're a casual fan, you were not so much surprised because you don't know who Agatha Harkness is. You have no idea who that is. There's no way the casual fan has any clue as to who that is. No, but I think to a casual fan, they would probably say, oh, wow, another magic user in the in the hex. That's kind of cool. They could. They could. But I I think even the casual fan knew that there was something about Agnes. The point is, when she starts becoming that kind of character, I think the writing is on the wall. And I think that the viewership is smart enough to see that the writing is on the wall, that there's something particularly special about her. I think for us, as the people that are a little more familiar with the comic book world, if you will, it was a table setting episode. Yeah. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that really kind of just the stage for the next two episodes, because now we don't necessarily know that she is an antagonist yet. And if you go back to her in the comic books, she was not always an antagonist. She was almost like a... Yeah. Kind of middle of the road. Sometimes really a mentor. Yeah. Some, sometimes a villain. Sometimes a mentor. Yeah. Sometimes it, a... She was really just somebody that yeah. was out for her own interests, if you will. So we still don't know that she's the antagonist. Now, we did see a book, which would kind of hint towards another big bad, who I'm sure that's going to yes. be the big reveal at the end of episode nine, I'd imagine, or somewhere. But then there's episode. a song, though, that's Agatha all along. Agatha all along. but And, and that's very, very true. Very true. But it was just their way of saying Agatha was the one pulling the string. So we still see that Wanda has control of the hex. Now, how she yeah. had that kind of control, she's not sure. But she's the one that seems to have control over the manifesting of this hex and how big it's become and how big it's getting and so on and so forth. So I still don't think she is the big bad behind it. I think she's like the middle person. And I don't even know if I'm ready to call her the big bad quite yet. Obviously she's been shown in a light of being the uh, one of the bads. And so I think that's a safe presumption, but we also know that Kevin Feige loves to play with us. He loves to throw those little misdirections and I made you look here, but you don't see what here is going on. And, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I'm still just as excited. I don't think that episode seven was such a big deal for me because, again, it was it was more of a placeholder episode. Now we're setting the table for the end game, quote unquote, of uh, WandaVision and just truly see. Now I'm hearing that there's still another big cameo to be had. And I'm hearing rumors that it could be Doctor Strange. I'm hearing rumors. It's just it's tons. So right now I'm just excited. I'm just anticipating it. I really enjoy the serialized television again. I enjoyed the buildup of the story. It took a while to get there. But now that we're here, we've earned it as opposed to we just got it. You know, we're, we're earning it at this point. So I'm excited. Uh, as am I, my friend, as am I. And I know I want to have you back on talking WandaVision and Marvel Absolutely. Cinematic Universe going forward. Again, it is TJ Johnson here for the Lakers Fast Break and Pop Culture Cosmos. Cannot thank him enough as always. Continued blessings to you, my friend, and your awesome family. And that wonderful TV behind you, continue blessings for that. So yeah, I'm hoping there'll be some good stuff on there for the rest of the day. Maybe some WandaVision as well. Yeah. So continued success to you. And I look forward to bringing you back right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. We would be remiss 
for a episode update without my awesome daughter. She is the mastermind behind all the pop culture ideas that we have in the Glassford household. It is Ellen Glassford at Ellen. Episode seven was probably not what I had expected. And unfortunately, it was what I had expected in many ways as well. So it was kind of like underwhelming on both ends. It had a chance to surprise me and didn't, and also had a chance to delight me and didn't. So I want to hear your thoughts on this episode. I may be being a little bit harsh on it, but because the highs in the series have been so high, I treat this as a rather low low. This episode was not as good as the other ones. We have expected to be surprised every single episode at this point, but with this episode, there were things that we were hoping for and things that we were predicting and theorizing about all week and for several weeks now that just kind of disappointed us. And this episode as a whole, it wasn't awful, but it was just a little bit disappointing. Just a little bit of a letdown from what we've come to expect from WandaVision. Yes, but by no means am I deterred from watching the last and final two episodes And I know you're still excited for as well. In fact, a lot of people were so excited that it actually crashed Disney Plus when it first got released on Friday night. So I know there's a lot of people out there that want to keep on checking out WandaVision. And casual fans out there were really excited for this unique turn for Agatha Harkness and the reveal that was there. Although people who were more into the comic side, or if you've been watching a lot of these YouTube speculation videos, you kind of were not too surprised on it. Were you kind of bummed, though, at the lack of a reveal for who the engineer was, which turned out to be just an, an army engineer, and also as well the actual product that they made, this rover, which was supposed to have gotten through the hex, couldn't even get through the first force field? I was pretty disappointed at the engineer thing. I think a lot of people were expecting Reed Richards. I wasn't, but I was expecting someone that we might recognize or someone that we might be excited about. I have no idea what happened there. The writing was really there to be a big reveal of the engineer, but it was just a random person. And the vehicle that they brought didn't even work and she just decided to go in there herself so I I kind of think this whole plot was just a waste of time and just a waste to get Monica and Jimmy away from the hex just so Monica could go back in the hex it was kind of a waste it was kind of a waste but it did set up her actually going into it which she could have done in the first place and becoming what we will now know as spectrum going forward she's not photon I don't think she's going to become Captain Marvel, but she will be, I think, what's being called now a Spectrum going forward. So, hey, more props to her. I'm happy for her. She's been a great addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I look forward to hearing more about her going forward and her powers and abilities. And I'm sure if we don't get too much more of a taste of it in the next two episodes, we'll sure get a taste of it by the time Captain Marvel 2 rolls around. But Before we head on out, I know, like you said, that the Agatha Harkness reveal wasn't something that was out of the ordinary from what we're seeing and and something that wasn't a total, complete surprise that got everybody excited, like the Evan Peters reveal 
just a couple episodes earlier. But what I wanted to ask you before we head on out is your thoughts on what may be coming up. There was a mysterious book. So Agatha Harkness may not be the only one pulling the strings. So it may not just be Agatha all along. I think Agatha may be working with someone that the book is going to summon. I know Mephisto and Nightmare have been thrown out. I think it's probably them because Paul Bettany has teased a big cameo from an actor that he's always wanted to work with. So I think that might be the big bad of the series because in episode seven, getting the Agnes reveal, I don't know what they're going to do for two more episodes. So I think we're going to get another big bad who's working with Agnes and maybe even Evan Peters, whoever Evan Peters turns out to be. But there's someone else that we haven't seen yet, I think. I think that as well. And I think you're very astute in that observation. So I'm looking forward to seeing that come to fruition. Looking forward to maybe recouping what we're going to be doing now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the next two episodes of WandaVision. Looking forward to them closing it out strong after kind of a little bit of a bump in the road, per se. I know Knowing and Fine has been doing some reports as well. He's going to be on the Wednesday show. We're going to actually have a special episode of Honey Queen. That's going to drop on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel wherever you get your podcast. He's also going to report on his thoughts on Episode 7. But Elowen, for now, I truly appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos Are you still as excited as ever for WandaVision? I am, just because all the actors and everybody had said how the series is going to be so epic in its ending, and I really believe that they're going to be right about that. I think this series is going to end in a way that we don't expect. I still have really high hopes for it, and I think this episode was just a one-off in terms of the quality. And I think these next two episodes are going to be really good. Elowen, it's been so great to talk to you, my dear. As always, we will watch episode eight coming up later this week. Looking forward to it. And thank you again so much for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. want to thank so much Rob McCallum, TJ Johnson, and Ellen Glassford for stopping by on the program today. But before we head on out, Josh, my friend, I wanted to thank you again for stopping by. I know you've had a difficult week, obviously, there in Texas and having to deal with a whole bunch of stuff going on. But I know some news got your way that actually, for a brief moment, brightened up your day. And that was something you have been wanting for quite some time that you have talked about on the show. And that's Constantine, a series coming to HBO Max. Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, I was a huge fan of the NBC version of Constantine. What I... I really like yeah. it. Yeah. And so, I mean, it would be cool. They haven't made any casting announcements yet. It was slow, but I thought it was very well done. Oh, for sure. And it holds up pretty well today, too. I mean, it's not, again, not the greatest movie ever made, but it's no. it's entertaining. Like, yes. if it's on, I'm not going to turn it off. From what I understand, what I've, what I've been reading is HBO Max is going to do kind of what Netflix did with the Marvel characters, right? They're going to be introducing each of these characters. They're going to have their... Constantine, Swamp Thing, Etrigor the Demon, Zatanna, and then there's yeah. Dead Man also. Yeah, I mean, so it would be cool if Keanu Reeves was part of it. I mean, that would be a great way of 
making the Constantine movie canon. I know it's going to cost money, but I mean, look at this though. Like HBO, they have the money. HBO Max and Warner Brothers, they have the money, and this would be a great way because they have. They're slowly starting to tie all these properties together, especially with Flashpoint coming up. This would be a golden opportunity. I would at least ask him. I would. I I would too. This would be a golden opportunity for them to take. You know, because once they connect Batman, and I don't know if they're going to have Flashpoint have any connection to the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, but Constantine will just kind of be that lone property floating out in the void. If they, if they cast Keanu Reeves as Constantine, they could take this like random property floating out in the ether and kind of tie it into their existing universe. So that being said, their plan is to give all these characters their own series and then tie them into a Justice League Dark my question to you though is most of the like the popular Justice League Dark comic book runs usually had Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman in them to kind of like lend a, a bigger hero to a smaller world. Do you think that that's going to be the case with this show when, when Justice League Dark finally hits HBO Max? You think they will bring somebody from the film universe into this they, they smaller have to. world? They have to. It makes it for so much more an interesting tie-in. And they obviously are going to be watching very closely what Disney Plus is doing with the Star Wars and MCU universe as far as the tie-ins and things of that nature that they try to go ahead and allude to to the larger film universe. And of course, Marvel, where everything is a direct tie-in to what you've already seen on film, mm-hmm. I think it's it's something that definitely they're going to take steps from and it would be in their best interest to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't, again, though, like Constantine such an interesting character so many layers to this individual i would not want him to become overshadowed by like having batman or somebody in there i hope that when justice league dark comes out if they're going to use a bigger hero they don't make it more about that bigger hero than about these characters because these characters are all really interesting you know and this is a side of the dc universe that feels i'm not going to say grounded but it feels gritty and it feels like it can exist without having to rely heavily on everything else that exists in that world. What are your thoughts out there on a Constantine series coming to HBO Max? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Coming up later this week, we are going to have on the PCC Multiverse, Mike Faber, and also as well, Kevin Eldridge from the ESO Network. It's our annual We Cry or We Debate over the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. So we're going to go ahead and speculate who might get in, who might stay out, and who should have been in in the first place on the next episode of the PCC Multiverse. But my friend, it's been a great episode. But any last thoughts on possibly Netflix Marvel heroes on the way out? Okay, so we know that Charlie Cox has been spotted on the set of spider-man 3 and we know that the rights to the last two netflix shows finally went back to marvel there's been speculation that disney is going to keep mike colter in the role of luke cage the chances are high they're going to recast the role of iron fist very high very high no word yet on john bernthal's punisher and there's a little bit of whispers about jessica ritter remaining in the role of jessica jones this is interesting to me because you know they had brief nods to the mcu in those movies you know talking about the big green guy and like the event is what they call it in there this would officially like tie it into the mcu so do you think feige is going to give the fans what they want and officially introduce these characters or do you think there's going to be a massive reboot 
And if there is a massive reboot, what role is Charlie Cox going to play in this? Well, see, he has the advantage. He can pick and choose who he wants to go ahead and stay and retain yeah. and what stories he wants to keep and retain and what he wants to go ahead and redo and things of that nature. I don't see them playing a humongous role going forward. Maybe Charlie Cox at the most. They could kickstart his daredevil once again. I think that he wants to build something else, Kevin Feige does, and maybe have the defenders as a small part of that equation. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great Now, the question of the hour is, who's got a Doctor Who podcast? Answer, we do. Next question, who's listening to it? Answer, you are. If you're sitting up there in your silly little spaceship and you've got any plans to listen to a Doctor Who podcast, just remember who's standing in your way. And then, do the smart thing. Listen to Earth Station Who right here on the ESO You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.